God, that's our heart's cry this morning. We acknowledge that we can't just drift through this life on our own. Lord, but we need You. Every hour, every minute, we need You. We need Your grace. We need Your provision in our lives. We need Your power, Lord. So speak to our hearts today through Your Word, God. That's all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Today, because of what's happened in our community, uh, I was going to talk about racism in a few weeks, what Jesus has to say about racism, but I thought you might be listening a little better today because of what's happened in our community. What does Jesus say about racism? Racism is making a quick judgment on the characteristics of a race to rate them as inferior or superior is the official definition, demonstrating partiality or bias. Racism is a problem that we can't ignore today. There is racism. It has become political. It's being used as a political tool today, and I believe that's really a shame because as if you stay with me today and not tune me out, and I want you to do that, stay with me all the way to the end and hear what I have to say about this, but uh, what, really what the Scripture, I believe, has to say about this. But with the politicalization of racism today, um, I think racism is going to get worse in our country. That's my personal opinion on that. Uh, but it's been around a long, long time. You cannot legislate a cure for racism. You cannot, you cannot make laws that's going to stop racism. Uh, it's of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. And, and, and they can force this, uh, you know, everybody treated people kindly and, and equitable and all those kind of things. And when you force people to make decisions based on race, and you have to hire so many people based on race and not merit, it's going to cause more racism, bottom line. And so... Uh, I think the body of Christ needs to be aware that what we have in place as the weapons, the tools that work towards curing racism in a group of people. Now, racism is foolish at the very uh, foundation of racism. It's foolish and it reveals the heart of mankind. Now, I'm a white man. I mean, I'm really white. My DNA is 98% Northwest Europe. Uh, my grandfather, William Smart, was born at Woburn Abbey in 1901. And he was born to a lady that was in service at Woburn Abbey. And if you watch Dalton Abbey, you know what it means, the ladies who were in service my great-grandmother was in service at Wolverine Abbey. We don't know what she did. We don't know if she dressed people, if she cooked food. We don't know if she was a cleaner. But if you watched Downton Abbey, I, I really, I didn't watch Downton Abbey when it first came out because I thought it was for girls. And then uh, I started watching it. And I went, this is, this is cool because I've never met my great-grandmother. I don't know who she was, what she did. I don't know what she looked like. There's no pictures of my great-grandmother. But one piece of information that's really been interesting in our family, that when my grandfather was born at Woburn Abbey, 
and you picture Dalton Abbey, put it in Wolverine Abbey, it's very similar. I've been to Wolverine Abbey. I looked over the fence, they wouldn't let me in, and I stood out there and said, I might be family, but they, <laughs> it didn't work. They didn't let me in. My cousin Peter said, get, get, you can't do that here, Lee. We're, we're English, we're posh, we're principled, you know. It's, oh, you're upper lip, you're very, you're very cold, Peter. But uh, I thought it'd be really cool if I could go in there and claim my family and rights to, to Woburn Abbey. I just wouldn't be here with y'all today. I'd be dressed in a tuxedo for lunch. <laughs> Can you imagine that? I ain't doing that. They'd have problems. So there's no man on my grandfather's birth certificate. Uh-oh. Yeah, she was one of those. My grandfather was a product of, you know, some kind of affair probably, and could have been with the Duke of Bedford. I've researched, and, uh, and I looked it up. Not a pretty man, could be. Not a pretty man at all. And I looked at those eyes, and I wondered, are you my grandfather's dad? You scoundrel, you, you know. And, uh, and so my mother was born in 1940 in Greenfield, England. And she met my dad on a blind date. My DNA in a half comes from my mom, of course. Northwest England, 98%. And since it's 98%, there's no question that my dad's DNA is... Definitely Northwest England is Northwest Europe as well. Uh, Betsy English was raised at the English plantation in Georgia and most likely had slaves. They had a nice plantation. I've seen pictures of it. And I think there's no question that, that uh, you know, my great, great, great grandfather uh, owned slaves there in Georgia. Uh, Betsy's husband did not come home from the Civil War. And she moved to England. She moved to a lot of places here. She moved to Alabama to teach school. And when she moved to Alabama to teach school, she met Jesse Brewer. And they started raising a family. They had five boys. And one of those boys was named Gene. That's my grandfather. And Jesse was killed clearing off a land. A, 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 he didn't do it right, and a tree fell on him and killed him in the early 1900s. And uh, after all those kids, so then she raised all those boys by herself. And Gene being my grandfather, he was born in Coffee Springs County, Alabama. But my DNA, my DNA traveled through Ireland, England, Scotland. My DNA made it over to Alabama, Georgia, then Alabama. And I come from that. My dad, who was born in 1936, when he was 15 years old, went to Detroit to work in the car factory. And you've heard country songs about the great migration up north of the people in the south to earn a living. And my dad, when he was old enough, he was tired of farming, and he said, I don't want nothing to do that anymore. And when he was 15, he went to his dad, my grandfather, and said, I just don't want to do this anymore. And he said, son, I know, I, I know that you're, this is not what you want to do. And my, my dad, being the oldest son, he, he had to quit school in the eighth grade to work with my grandfather so that they could make a living. 
But he went to Detroit, and, but he was too young to find a job at Ford or Chevrolet or Buick or any place up there, Cadillac, wherever they was making. And so he got uh, many jobs. He had several jobs trying to make a living and try to have a little apartment for himself. And uh, he was sweeping floors in a Coke manufacturing plant. And, uh, but he got interested in joining the military. He thought that would be a good thing. And so he went uh, to the Marine re uh, recruiter and he signed up to join the Marine Corps. And so they got him a, a date set when he was going to go. And so he shows up at the recruit uh, office to leave in the bus to go to Paris Island. Well, um, when he got there, the Marine recruiter, the sergeant said, uh, you know, Jim, we're sorry, but we don't have a spot for you today. I, I, I counted wrong. You can leave next week. And my dad said, well, I've already, I've already t left my apartment. I've already t left. I don't have anywhere to go for a week. I don't have any money. I don't have enough money for a hotel room or anything. And, and the Marine recruiter said, well, I'll tell you what, the Air Force across the hallway here, they got a bus leaving for Brewer, Maine today, which is really interesting, isn't it, uh, for Air Force boot camp. You want, to be a, you want to go in the Air Force? You can do it today. And he goes, I guess so. And so he walked across. They took the Marine information that the Marines took of his personal information, went across the, uh, the hallway. The Air Force recruiter was glad to have him. And, and my dad, uh, in 1955, uh, went to being uh, an Air Force guy. Now, what were the Marines doing in the 60s? in the early 70s. I might not be here. Definitely, he, if he was a Marine, he would not have gone with his first assignment to Chick Sands, England. It wouldn't have happened. So uh, I think that me being here, it has a lot to do with a Marine that can't count. Yeah. Marine, it, it, me being here also has a lot to do with Hitler. Heil Hitler? Wow, isn't that something? Because the Air Force base that my dad was assigned to first was there because of World War II. And they were, he was guarding spies in the security police. And, and in Chicksands, England, we were listening to the Russians. And that's what my dad did. Had big satellites there at Chicksands Air Force Base back in the day. So... My dad goes to Chicksands Air Force Base, and along the way, uh, one of the guys he works with was dating a little girl uh, outside the base, and uh, that little girl, Jennifer, knew my mom and uh, had a blind date with my mom and my dad. My DNA became a possibility. And two years later, they're married. Two years later, here I am. So... When I look back, my dad left Alabama. I had nothing to do with that. My dad went and joined the Marine Corps. I had nothing to do with that. The Marine Corps didn't count well. He went in the Air Force, who counts well. I had nothing to do with that. My mom's friend Jennifer thought that my mom and my dad would be a good pair. I had nothing to do with that. Nothing to do with that at all. And so my DNA was, uh, came alive in 1959. I had nothing to do with that. 
So, if you hate me because I'm white, it's really foolish. Because I had nothing to do with my DNA. I have nothing to do with being white. And, and people today have a racism against white men. You hear a lot about that on the news. It's really foolish. Now, on the other hand, if it's, if it's foolish to hate me because I'm white, it's also foolish to hate someone of color because of their color. Because guess what? They had nothing to do with it. Nothing to do with it. Their DNA of who they are is, is outside of their world. And guess what? Your DNA has nothing to do with what you have done or hadn't done. It's just the way it is. So, up front, the foundation of hate is literally hating someone's DNA and hating someone for their DNA, and that person has nothing to do with that DNA. I just think that's a real foundational uh, point to make about racism. Racism at the very foundation is foolish. It's foolish. Also, not all white people are racist. Not all white men are part of the problem. Granted, some are. No question about it. Some white people are indeed racist. No question about that. And no question about it that there are definitely issues of racism in every community, in every place, but not everyone is racist because there is racism in their community. And so today, we, our, our little town is, is all over the news, and people are saying, the news reporters are saying, that there must be problems in Alito with racism. Now, I'm going to tell you, there are problems in Alito with racism, but everyone is not a racist. Not, any, not everyone is a racist here. And it's a horrible thing that's happening in our world where labeling is done and everyone is a racist. Just like not everyone that lives in around six stop, uh, it, uh, stop six in Fort Worth are racist. Not all the Hispanics are racist. Some Hispanics are, are racist, but we can no way say all Hispanics are racist. And, and to, to make a quick judgment, about who someone is and what someone is like by the color of their skin is absolutely foolish because they have nothing to do with their DNA. Nothing to do with it. I, I just don't think that uh, you can legislate the cure of racism. I don't think that you can rally together and, and cause people to think that, that uh, racism uh, can be cured by laws, by legislation, by, by politicians. It's, it's a matter of the heart. And I think that is a beginning spot to begin with. So that's a good conversation you can have someone. Trace your DNA. And if you have a conversation at work, begin there. To hate me because I'm white. To hate me because I'm Hispanic. To hate me because I'm black. To hate me because I'm a Polish man. To hate me because of whatever ethnicity you're from is foolish. And let's begin there. Let's start there and lay that down. And, and, and if you are racist because against any skin color or any type of person, 
You know, there's a lot of white people that are, are racist against other white people that are rich. There's also white people that are, are, are racist against white people who are poor. And so it has all kinds of strings, and it's a complicated issue, but it's a very simple thing to begin. The, 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 the common ground is this. None of us are responsible for our DNA. I'm a child of the Duke of Bedford. I am royalty. It is not, I, I do not have the right to look down on all you peasants. <laughs> That's one of my favorite things in all of life, that I found out my grandfather didn't have a dad, or no one that would claim him, then it's sad. All right. Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. The parable of the Good Samaritan. The Jews did not like the Samaritans. The Samaritans felt the judgment and the loathing of the Jews, and the Samaritans did not like the Jews. The Samaritans were half-breeds. They were people that were sent on exile. They, their DNA was Jewish, but their DNA got mixed along the way after the dispersions, and when they're brought back, because they're not pure-blood Jews, they had to live in Samaria. Samaria is the, is, the, is the land that's north of Jerusalem, between Jerusalem and the Galilee area. A Jew wouldn't even walk through Samaria unless there was no other choice. And so the Good Samaritan was directed towards racism, the story. Verse 25, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. So loving God and loving your neighbor as you love yourself. Treating your neighbor the way you want to be treated. That's the result of, of loving God. And so the cure for racism is the result of loving God. And until people love God, there's not going to be a cure of racism. And you can legalize this or that and the other. You can make it illegal to be racist and all those kind of things. It's not going to do anything. It's just... It's very sad. But what's going to cure racism is people being born again, people becoming believers, and the Holy Spirit coming and being sealed in their body and begin that transformation of being conformed into the image of Christ. There's no other way to do it. You're just going to subdue racism so people can make money. Right? And, and that's what they're trying to do today in our government. That's what politicians are trying to do. That's what all the movements are trying to do is to put us in a situation to where they're not going to be doing business with them or they're going to attack them or they're going to burn the stores down and all these kind of things. And they believe that's going to cure racism. And it's not. It's going to make it worse. But, you know, common sense doesn't have a lot to do with our world today. He said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. The lawyer, once again, 
But he, desiring to justify himself, said, And who is my neighbor? That, verse 29, is an amazing scripture. And, and when people tell you the Bible is not relevant to, to the needs of people today, Luke 10, verse 29, is, is completely relevant for people today. Desiring to justify himself. Guess what most people are doing today? The, they desire to justify themselves. I'm a pretty good old boy. I'm better than most, you know? And as long as I just kind of stay balanced there where, you know, I've got issues, I can manage certain sins, and as long as there's people in my world that I'm a little bit better than, then, hey, I'm okay with God. And, and here we have this lawyer seeking, desiring to justify himself. Billy had it right. Kill all the lawyers and kill them tonight. You know where that song came from? That eagle song, the first song they put together after they, uh, they broke up, then they came back together. The first song that Glenn Fry and Don Henley wrote together was Get Over It. I love the line in that song, that bubble bleach-haired blonde. You know, on the news, I know this is doesn't register with probably anybody here. You know, I just, <laughs> it's just interesting to me. And William Shakespeare wrote Henry VI, and, and they were saying, what are we going to do? And in Shakespeare's play, he said, we're going to kill all the lawyers. We're going to kill them tonight. And so the song says, Billy was right. William Shakespeare, Billy, I like that. That's cool, right? You think William Shakespeare was ever called Billy? Hey, Billy, how you doing over there? What are you writing now? Ah, Romeo and Juliet, good luck to you. You know? Billy was right. Kill all the lawyers, kill them tonight. This lawyer, I, I, I bet he wasn't fun to be around. He's not like the lawyers I know. Thank you. But he desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among the robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So the priest walks by. He sees the blood. He can't get close to the blood. He can't touch that situation. So, and I'm sure he's an important man, the priest. And he was going down to Jericho, which probably going to the casino that's down there. I don't know if it's casino then there, but there is now. But that's total speculation on my part. But the priests walk on their side. So likewise, a Levite. A Levite is the tribe in which the priests come from. So you got two religious dudes. Two dudes that you would think know better. Two dudes that would have something to do with rescuing a, a, a person that's come under a hard time here. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, uh-oh, but a Samaritan. So Jesus is getting in this parable, and he's saying to him, you got your priest and your Levite, two really good Jews who loathe Samaritans, who see Samaritans through a racist lens. 
And this Samaritan here, but a Samaritan as he journeyed came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Now, it doesn't tell us what about the, the, the DNA of this robber. We don't know about this robber's background. We're not quite sure about him. We just know he came on hard times. He, they found he was all alone, he's isolated, and the robbers took his stuff and beat him, left him for dead. But this Samaritan, unlike the Levite and unlike the priest, he had compassion on him. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on the, his own animal and brought him to an end and took care of him. So he got involved. He just didn't say a prayer. He just didn't say, this is a real sad situation. I empathize with what you're going through, but I'm busy. I've got to move on. Nothing like that. He literally, he, the, the uh, inconvenience of it, the, uh, you know, I uh, can't think of a word that goes with that, but there is one, and you probably know what it is. Uh, inconvenience is something that I the only thing I can think of. Sorry, I'm lost there. Verse 35. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will pay, repay you when I come back. Now, Jesus asked, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. You need to memorize that. You go and do likewise. You got it down. You go and do likewise. That's how you live. So my question for us today is, how do we get there? What is going on here? Jesus is speaking about someone that loves God and loves his neighbor at himself. You can't love your neighbor. It's a complete impossibility to love your neighbor as yourself unless God is in your life. Okay? So the cure for racism is God being in their life and recognizing that we have the responsibility to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. You take care of yourself. You don't beat yourself. You don't, you don't judge yourself so much, right? You shouldn't anyway. You don't put yourself in that position that, that you, you know, you're just low life. You love yourself. You take care of yourself. It's a healthy thing to, to be well, to love yourself. And loving yourself and loving your neighbor like you love yourself is how you cure racism. Because what Jesus is saying here is, your neighbor is just, it's not, has nothing to do with geography. It has nothing to do with someone being like you. It's whoever you encounter. It's whoever you cross paths with. And we respond to them by loving them the way we love ourselves. Right? You can't do that without loving God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. So, how does that happen? How do you get people to love God with all the heart? Very simple. The scripture tells us we share the good news. The cure for racism begins with those who have got the commission to share the gospel. Who is that? It's the body of Christ. It's not the government. It's not laws. It's not companies. It's not Major League Baseball. They don't have that assignment. Their assignment is to play the game. Right? 
the legislation, their assignment is to uphold the Constitution. That's what they're assigned to do. We're assigned to cure racism. We're assigned to cure racism. We begin by sharing the gospel because the only way racism is not buried, racism is not you know, subdued so we can make money, so we can get along, or so other people can't speak ill of us, which is a real fear in today's world. I'm going to give in to the, the, the demands of these people because I don't want anybody out there to say I'm racism. All that does is subdue racism. It just pushes racism down, and it's going to explode one day. But the gospel does something different than that. The gospel heals the heart. It heals the heart. It mends the heart. The gospel is the way in which love enters our being when we're born again. So body of Christ, church people, look, racism is in our world. There's no question about it. You can argue all day long with people about systemic racism. I mean, it's just, it blows my mind to think about all that and how complicated it's gotten. But we're the ones with the key to curing racism. It begins by sharing the gospel, by making disciples, by praying for people and doing what God's assigned us to do. We give hope to the world. We give them the opportunity to love people unconditionally. They can't do that before the gospel. But once they've been born again and a new possibility begins to, to, to immerse, uh, uh, come from them, man, the racism can be cured. You know, my dad grew up in South Alabama. He did not go to school with black people because it, they just wouldn't allow that to happen, right? And I asked him one day, I said, Dad, you know, uh, you work with people of all color in the Air Force you did, and also in the city of San Angelo. You, you ever struggle with racism back in the day? He goes, yeah, a little bit from time to time, but you know, man, he said, uh, I went in the Air Force really young, and he said there were, there were people of color in our, in our barracks, and I worked with people of color, and he said, I, I don't know for sure why, but I was so against by that time how I was raised with racism that I just didn't want to be like that anymore. You know, and, and the gospel has something to do with that. Helps us to love people like we love ourselves. So if we're going to cure racism, we're not going to cure racism by putting our head in the sand and saying it doesn't exist here. It exists in Lido. Okay? I don't believe it exists to the level that some people are reporting, okay? It's a very small group of people that this came out about. All right. But if someone's not born again, and if someone doesn't have a relationship with Christ, if someone does not have the Holy Spirit to begin that transformation inside, because of human nature, racism is there somewhere. It's human nature to be racist. This is what we do. We compartmentalize. We judge. We put people in boxes. The answer is the people of the Church of the Crossing, they share the good news. 
and give God his opportunity to enter people's lives, to draw people to himself. That's what we need to do. And we need to disciple people. We need to help people grow with, the, obviously, the work of the Holy Spirit for people to grow so that they love people the way they love themselves. Now, we're not going to have any impact on Washington, D.C., other than prayer. I mean, I have no impact with Washington, D.C. I have no impact with Austin, Texas, you know? But what I do have is a responsibility to share the gospel and let the Lord do with that seed what He wants to do. And it very well could be that you could share the gospel with someone that's in your life today and they get saved and they share the gospel with someone and they get saved and they share the gospel with someone that gets saved. And down the road, they share the gospel with a future president of the United States. And he or she changes the world or changes our world, right? And so we've got to begin where we are, sharing the good news about Jesus. I just think when it comes to racism, God's people, God's white people, because that's what we are, we need to step up to what we're called to do, and that's share the gospel with people. There'll be some interesting conversations at lunch today, won't there? Well, that's what I believe Jesus has to say about racism. Let's pray. <laughs> Unexpected. Thank you. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful for your love of us. We're grateful for the assignment you've given us, Lord. Today I'm assured, reassured, that you want me to go and do likewise, like you wanted this lawyer who wanted to justify himself. That we loved you with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind, and we love our neighbor as ourself. And when we come along our neighbor, we have compassion. We put them on the back of our donkey. We take them to a place where they can find some shelter, some mending for their wounds. And Lord, we even take care of them beyond that part as we see that's what this good Samaritan did. Lord, clearly you're telling us to be involved. Clearly you're telling us to not be passive and take action. The example is not the priest and it's not the Levite. It's the Samaritan, the least likely of the three. He just got involved, Lord, and he loved. And Lord, we recognize that in our, in our country, in our community, that Lord, there are people drawing, uh, you know, they're, they're getting on opposite sides of racism and it's been politicized, it's been commercialized, Lord. It's been, you know, it's now in every aspect of our world. We're gonna fix it, it's got a problem and all that's going on. And yet, Lord, you're never mentioned as, a, as the one source of, of hope, the answer to the problem, Lord. So Father, we recognize that just like always, we have a huge responsibility to share the gospel, Lord. Give us the boldness. Give us the want to. 
Give us, Father, the fire to share the good news of Jesus with people. Lord, because I recognize today that if your people don't respond to this commission that you've given us, no one is going to. And Lord, I recognize that without you in our world, our world will destruct. And Lord, we're seeing that today. We're seeing people without you, without that frame of reference, without that perspective, without that you know, idea, philosophy of, of what matters most, Lord, people are doing their very best to cure something that they don't have any means to do so. And so it reminds me today, Lord, that I really need to be faithful with the good news. And may your spirit be pleased, and may you be pleased with our efforts. And may you do, Lord, what, you know, you're the only one that can cure racism. In Jesus' name, amen.